0: All right, if you got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 4. <clears throat> John chapter 4. Uh, for the past two weeks, you've been really laying down a foundation of what it is to have a, a heart for the house. And uh, it's just been, I've been enjoying the series. I think it's a great vision series for where we are as a church. We talked about the first week that God's building a house. He's building a spiritual house. He's bringing all types of people together uh, from all different backgrounds of life. And, uh, and it's just incredible how he does that. It's amazing that if you were to put all these people outside of this place, we would not, most of us would not have anything in common. Most of us would probably not be friends with each other. Um, but we come under one roof with one person uh, to celebrate and to worship one one God, and his name is Jesus. And he brings all different types of people, wealthy, poor, black, white, smart, not so much, uh, all different types of people. He brings them together. And, uh, and so we see that in the, the heart for a house that God has a heart for his house and he's building a people, he's building a church and the church is not these walls by any means. It's a, it's a group of people that are committed to worship Christ together. And then we talked about how Jesus is the heart of that house. He's the cornerstone and the capstone. He is, he is everything that we build on. Then last week we talked about his, his vision for the house that, that God's heart, that God's vision has a church. God's church doesn't have a vision. See, our church doesn't have a vision. God's vision has us. We are his vision. We are his passion. And and so we we find out that God has a vision for reaching people and building lives. I know Pastor Jamie talked about that last week, the the importance for us to be a people who are reaching people and constantly building lives. We want to do that in you, and then we want you to do that with others. Now, here's the question, and this is the question that we're going to answer for the next four weeks. How? How? How do we do that? How do we reach people? How do we build lives? How do we go about doing that? We have four kind of core values at our church that we have drilled down to say, if there's anything that we're about, we are about this. When it comes to reaching people and building lives, we want to see people connect to Christ, we want to see them grow with others. We want to see them serve on mission. We want to see them go and make disciples. These four things, are they drive everything that we do. We want to see people do all these. We can find out where your walk with Christ is by asking these four questions. How are you connecting with Christ? And are you growing with people? And are you serving? Are you going? So today we're going to spend a little time on connecting to Christ. Next we're we going to be grow with others and you'll you'll see the other ones as we go on. So I want to start today with asking one question. Here's the question. What is the one thing... That God desires that only you can give? What is the one thing that God desires that only you can give? The question, or the answer to that question, is it's your worship. It's your worship. The only thing that you can give that God so desires is your worship. So when we're talking about connecting to Christ, I want you all to see these two words as synonymous. When we talk about connecting to Christ, we're talking about worship. What is it that you worship? Now, here's the thing about worship. We are all worshipers. Everyone is a worshiper. Or you may say, well, I'm not really big into the worship stuff. We have people at our Jennings Church that come at like 1030 because they don't want to come to the worship part. It's like halftime for them. They come in at halftime. Because they want to get the message part, but they don't want to do the worship part. And for them, they're like, well, I don't do all the worship stuff. Well, here's the deal. Everybody worships something. The question is, what are you worshiping? Everybody worships. We were created to worship. You were wired to worship. Everyone is a worshiper. And so we're going to go to John chapter 4. And, and work. Jesus specifically talks about this worship idea. He talks about what it is, his passion for people to connect to him more than anything else. In John chapter 4, can we throw up verse 4? And we'll read it together. Um, well, I'll, y'all, you'll read it silently. I'll read it out loud. And I want to go through this uh, passage. We're going to go through it uh, a little ways, and then we're going to come back and backtrack through it. And it says this, John chapter 4, starting in verse 4. You can read along in your Bible if you want or on the screen. It says, he had passed through Samaria, talking about Jesus. Uh, Jesus had passed through Samaria, and so Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from, His journey was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Well, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as he did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks of the water that I give, he will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him Will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, "Sir, give me this water, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water." Is that it? as far we got. Okay. All right. So let's go back to verse four through seven. Let's let's go up there. Let's go back to that. I want to show us something. We're going to work through this these uh, verses a little bit. Okay, here's something very, very, very important that I want you to understand when we look at this verse. Okay, so what's happening is Jesus and his disciples have been traveling a lot. They've been going through a lot of different places. As many of you know, they didn't have cars back in those days. They're walking everywhere, so they're tired. The disciples are actually extremely hungry. They're extremely tired and extremely hungry, just like most teenagers, okay? So they're like, Jesus, come on, man. I mean, like, I'm starving here. And so Jesus says, listen, okay. So they pass through this city. Jesus comes to a spot, and he's talking to his guys. he says, hey, listen, go to McDonald's, grab us some food, bring it back to me. I'm saying, okay, all right. So the guys are like, good, let's go get something to eat. So they walk. They're going into the city. And as they're walking into the city, Jesus is sitting by a well. As he's sitting by a well, the Bible says that a woman comes up to him. And this isn't just any normal woman. This is a what? A Samaritan woman. Okay. So there's a couple of things that we need to find out real quick here. We can, we can bring it from these two verses, something that's going on. So go to verse uh, 7. Go to the next one. It says, as he was sitting there beside the well, it was about the sixth hour. Now, if you have a study Bible or something, it may say what time that is. Does anybody see what time that is? It's noon. Okay. If you want to write it beside it, if yours doesn't have it, it's noontime. Okay. Now, that is very, very important for a couple of reasons. Um, first off is it's very important because for a woman to be fetching water at noon is very peculiar. Okay. If you are a woman and you have a family to take care of or husband to take care of, when are you getting water? When first thing you wake up? You do what you got to do, and then you go out to the well first thing in the morning, six, seven in the morning, and you grab all the water that you need to get, and you bring that back to where you are. So how many of you have ever seen people running at noontime? Have you all seen like from noon to three, you've seen people out running? What's your thought? Crazy, right? What are you smoking? Why are you running? You can run at 7, and it's perfectly hot then. Okay, why are you running at noon? All right, so this lady is coming out in the dead of heat to fetch water. That's so peculiar. We're going to find out as we go into these verses a couple more, though, that there's a reason for this, and I'll give you a little bit of why it is right now, because this woman has a past that she is not too fond of. She's actually got a present that she's not too fond of either. So if all of the ladies and all the women of the city are going to the well at six and seven in the morning, why isn't she? Because she doesn't want to want to be around the other ladies. If I'm in, if I got a, a past that I'm not too fond of and I and I'm living in sin that I'm not too fond of either, then I'm definitely not going to go and be around all these other ladies because you know what ladies are going to do. They're going to talk about me, and they're going to point, and they're going to laugh and do all this stuff. So Jesus is at this well at noon when she's coming, of course, which I want you to kind of keep that in the back of your mind because it's uh, she's an outcast of the city. Now, here's the deal. Back in those days, the other thing that's very important is that Jesus was Jewish, and this lady was Samaritans. And if you know anything about Jewish and Samaritans, that relationship was a bit estranged. Not even estranged. It was absolutely hatred towards one another of the utmost. Okay. So take what our segregation was in the 50s, 60s, and 70s and amp it up a whole nother degree. They would say that actually Jewish men would go to the temple. They would come to church. And as they were worshiping the Lord, they would verbally shout out, God, thank you. You haven't made me a Samaritan. And thank you that you haven't made me a woman. Now, if any of y'all would dare say that in our worship service, all these women right here would slap you, okay? So, but Jewish men would actually go to the temple and praise God and thank God that they weren't made a Samaritan and that they weren't a woman. The lowest of the totem pole in that culture was Samaritans, women, and children. Now, If you look at the life of Jesus, the things that he talks to and deals with the most are Samaritans, women, and children. Notice when the children come running to him and the disciples are like, wait, 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 what are you doing? And Jesus is like, back off. Chill out. Come on, kids. Come hang out. Why? Because men didn't hang out with kids. I'm a man. We don't hang out with kids. That's just a side note. All you men in here, you need to be an OSC kids. Can I get an amen? Okay. All right. Just had to throw that one in. So so you have not only a Samaritan, which is already an issue. If it was a Samaritan dude that came to the well, that would be an issue already. But it's not a Samaritan dude. It's a Samaritan woman, which is like double offense. So now you have a Jewish man, Jesus, talking to a Samaritan woman. And in his talk to her, he gives her orders. Hey, give me something to drink. She's like, say what? You talking? You talking? she probably looking around like, "You talking to me?" Give me some water. Okay, and so I want to I want us to look through what this says. Go to uh, verse 10. You can go to go to verse 10. It says this. And so Jesus answered her, "If you if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, "Give me a drink," you would have asked him and he would have given you living water." Look what it says. And the woman said to him, "Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep." So like, you don't like, you're here, and you don't even have, like, a bucket. Like, how is this working? And so look what he says. So where do you get this living water, she says. And are you greater than your father, Jacob? I mean, who who are you? And he gave us the well and, and drank from it, and him and his sons and all of his livestock. So Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water from this well will be thirsty again. But whatever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. See, what Jesus is telling her is he's saying, if you knew who was asking you for water, you would be asking me. If you knew who I was, you'd be asking me. Because Jesus right now is speaking of a well that, that, Satisfies for a moment, he's going, Listen, this is going to satisfy you, satisfy you for a moment, but my well, my water for all eternity. You'll never be thirsty again. Now she's still not understanding this. She's still like, Man, hook me up with this kind of water. Is this some like special bottled water that we're talking about here? They're like, I never get thirsty again. How does this work? So she's still really confused right now as to what's going on, and she's going to get a little bit more of a revelation of that is. But when we talk about connecting to Christ, I want us to talk through a couple of things. And you're going to have these in your notes. Ever got notes? Wave the notes at me so I can know you got them. Okay, good. All right. So here's what I want you to write down. We, we have, there's barriers that we have to connecting to Christ. When it comes to our worship, there's barriers that we have. And the first barrier that we face is we're drinking from the wrong well. We're drinking from the wrong well, and I want to highlight three wells that our culture continually goes to over and over and over again, and these wells will satisfy for a moment, but they will leave you thirsty for more, constantly thirsting for more, just like this woman is going back to the well, more and more well, and Jesus is like, listen, you're not getting this. I'm talking about something way bigger than what you're thinking, okay? I'm talking about something way bigger. So here's, here's a couple of the wells that our culture goes to, and if you're not careful, it's probably wells that... We go to constantly. So the first well is this, money. Money. I mean, I'll be honest. I love new stuff. Can I get an amen? Who likes some new stuff? Ladies, new dress, new shoes, new something. Guys, new truck, new ATV, a new weed eater. That would be nice. Anything, okay? I just like new stuff. It's intoxicating, isn't it? That's why you got to go back and get something new again because, that newness wears off. I was, I was in a car with a, with one of our younger guys this week, and it was a new truck to him about three months ago. And then I, I I rode with him. And then I was like, like, what happened to your truck? He's like, Oh man, I just, haven't been able to really watch it. I'm like, dude, like the first week you were like buffing this thing like daily. What happened? You know what happened? It's not new anymore. It wore off, right? And so for us, money or things is a is we get a high from it. Really, we get a high. We, we want something. And the problem is, is that it becomes old real quick. Right. So, OK, so I have three boys and uh, and we're go we constantly are going through these fads of different toys that are like the greatest toys on the planet. And it's usually like every three months, okay? So it was like Mario for a big time. You know, everything's Mario. We got Mario everything. It, it was cars. We had every car that you can imagine. There was cars galore. And then it was Mario. And, then, and now it's Ninja Turtles. And I'm like, if I would have just kept my toys. Come on, how you know what I'm talking about. Like, it's going back in style. If I would have kept my toys and kept my clothes, I would be the coolest guy right now. Like, Lindsay's like, I'm wearing my grandma's belt. I'm like, what the heck? Like we should have just kept all that stuff. So tip, keep everything you have. Don't throw it away. Just hoard as much stuff as you have. It'll come back around, I promise you. All right, it's gonna come. But here's the deal, and I'm constantly telling my boys this all the time, and I'm, I think I've shared this story before. Somebody had given us two, uh, two light-up toothbrushes. Have I shared this story before? Uh, they, somebody gave us a while back a, a dentist that we know that's a friend of ours, uh, gives away toothbrushes, and he gave us two light-up toothbrushes. Um, well, here's the problem. I have three boys. You don't ever give a family of three boys two things, ever, ever. Okay, so we go into the bathroom. It's time to brush our teeth. It's time to get new toothbrushes. And so, so we got a, a non-light-up new toothbrush and two light-up toothbrushes. That is World War Three already happening. All right, we should have known. Now in foresight, I see I should have done this, but I didn't. So you, you show up, and one of them picks, you know, I want the red one. Well, of course, the other one didn't want the blue one. He wants the the red one. So everybody wants the red one. So I come in, walk into the bathroom with tears. Oh, my God. I'm mean, a four-year-old and seven-year-old at that time, just fighting over this. Both have it, like, you know, both got the thing, and they're, like, going back and forth. I'm like, give me the toothbrush, all right? So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to settle this by this is a preaching moment. This is a This is a lesson. Jesus will intervene in this. So I said, sit down. Sit on the toilet, and you sit there. So I grabbed the toothbrush, and I said, okay, boys, listen. I know we got two toothbrushes here. You both getting new light-up ones, okay? Joel's in here like, ah, he's just brushing his teeth. He don't care. So you got the other two, but they all want the same one. I said, listen, do you love your brother, Josiah? Yes, I love my brother. Do you love the toothbrush? Yes, I love the toothbrush. Which one you love more? My brother. Okay, Judah, my four-year-old. Do you love your brother? Yeah. Hey, he's not crying. He's there. Do you love the toothbrush? Yes. Which one do you love more? The toothbrush. Lesson just went out the door. Uh, I said, you see that over there pointing to our trash can? Yes. In two months, guess where this toothbrush will be? Right there. It's going to be right there. But guess what? In two months, your brother will still be here. So you still got to work it out with him. And so I've, had, I've, I've constantly, we're in Ninja Turtles now. We got two Ninja Turtles. We got three boys. I'm like, okay, Lindsay, we can't do this anymore. We got to get three things or no things. We got to figure this out. Okay. But everybody wants to fight over different things. And I'm, I'm constantly wanting to champion them. Listen, stuff gets old. Stuff passes away. All your stuff that you thought was awesome, I just sent it to Goodwill last week. You love that stuff. Remember when it was the greatest craze ever, but now it's like, you don't even play with it at all. I said, what's up with that? I said, guess what? This toy that you like, this toy that you fight over, that's what it's going to be. But here's the deal. We look at that and we laugh at that, but we do that as adults. It's just more expensive. It's just bigger, but we do the same thing. Maybe we're not fighting with somebody over it, but we want this new thing. Okay. So like I had an iPhone three for forever. Doug used to remember this. It took me like three minutes to get my text messages. And, uh, and so uh, they came out with like the iPhone 3S or whatever, and then the 4, and then the 4S. And so we got finally got a 4S. And as soon as like you learn how to do it, like I'm finally like figuring out how to use this phone, there's a 5 already. Have you noticed this? Like as soon as you think like, man, I got it. And then you're like, oh, no, it's old now. All right. <laughs> <laughs> this was the best and now they're like no the really best <laughs> this is awesome this is the really now you got a bigger screen i'm like my well, mine's okay i think it's all right is it or Okay, so this is how our culture works this. I'm telling you, though, our culture plays this over and over. Watch every commercial. It's bigger and better, and this is more. And you have to have this. If you really want to have real true love, you got to have this kind of cologne. Okay, this is the one the ladies love. All right, you got to have this shoe. You got to have this thing. And we we get absorbed into that. We we want the money. We want the things. And I'm going to tell you this. um, Stuff and money is like drinking sand. It's going to always leave you thirsty. You're always going to want more. It's never going to be enough. I promise you, it'll never be enough. So that's the first well we go to. The second well we go to is relationships. We go to relationships. That's another barrier to our connecting to Christ. We're more consumed about things or money, but we're also can be more consumed about relationships. And this is where it gets a lot more personal because here's what I want y'all to see. Relationships are a beautiful gift from God. He is the creator of all things. I mean, he creates Adam and Eve. He says, you don't need to be alone. You need to be fruitful and multiply. You need to have people. Okay. How many of you think following Jesus would be easy if it wasn't for people sometimes? pastor in this church would be real easy if it wasn't for people. Uh, But we have people, and we we are in relationships with people. But our tendency in our culture is to put people in an elevated position than they're supposed to be. Uh, In marriage, you know, as wives, you can put your husband as your God or your Savior. And I'm telling you, he's just not going to be. He will fail you. And if he hasn't failed you now, he will fail you soon. Okay, it's, it's only a matter of time. He's I, I remember Lindsay and I, when we had our marriage counseling, and we were just smitten with each other in 21 and didn't know what we were talking, and we sat in the counselor that he's counseling us through our marriage, and he's like, have y'all had any fights? We're like, no, not at all. No fights. All right. Have y'all had, like, any tension in? I'm like, no, man, this is the greatest thing ever. I mean, we love each other. She is perfect. I don't see no flaws. There's just always there. And then I got married, and then she moved in with me, and then – I had all the flaws. She's still perfect and awesome. And it was me. I was jacked up. I was messed up. I was a messed up man. Still am. But here's the deal. I I, listen, you can watch as much Tom Cruise as you want, but nobody completes you. Okay. Aside from Jesus, no man will ever fill that spot. No man will ever. And and so many people uh, put people in that position, put a wife. So women, men aren't going to complete you. And Men, women will not satisfy whatever's broken in you. They will never satisfy that. I don't care. I don't care if you have the hottest wife on the planet. She will not satisfy that. She will not. I promise you. You have to find that fulfillment in Jesus. You have to. It's gotta start there. Because here's the deal about relationships. When you start worshiping people and you stop worshiping Jesus, you start using people. You start using people instead of being with people and loving people see when you start worshiping people like everything is so much on this person and you stop worshiping and connecting with christ and you put people in that elevated position you'll start using them and then secondly is when they fail you it's de- your life is destroyed because you've elevated them to such a high place see i absolutely love my wife i adore my wife she is next to jesus after jesus she is there but she is below Jesus. So if something was to happen and I was to lose her, my life would not shatter. I would be broken and hurt, but my life would still be grounded in Christ. Are you all with me here? Because if you don't go to that, you, you, you got to be careful. Okay, number three is success. This is the other well that we go to, success. We absolutely crave approval and acceptance. I mean, that's why so many of us spend 80 hours a week trying to work ourselves to death. And I always wonder, like, why do we do that? kill ourselves for things. Why do we work so hard, work so much? Now this is coming from a recovering workaholic. My grandfather was a workaholic, actually worked himself literally to death. He had a heart attack in a bank. And they said when they did the test, they saw that he had so much stress on his heart and he'd been working deals, and he was a businessman, and um, and just working a lot of crazy hours, late nights, early mornings, and just working this crazy stuff. And and in his heart, he—I know he had a true, genuine heart to provide for his family, to be a good businessman, to have all these things. But it can become a place where it actually becomes an idol. You want a, the success of being really big, or really, bi- or you know, really known, or you got to make more and more and more money, more money. Here's the question: When is it enough? At what point is it enough? What's enough money? Some people actually have a limit, but when they get to that limit, you'd be surprised at how they need more. See, the thing about success is we constantly, the the idol that's behind that, the heart motive that's behind that, is that we want approval and acceptance. We want people to approve of us. You are great. You are awesome. You are good. You are this. And so we're driven by performance but I, I want to just share this with you and you can write this in your note. You're not what you do. You're not your performance. You're not what you do. Cause here's the deal. When it's your performance, when you fail, what do you feel like a failure? See so many people, the relationship with Christ is based off of what they do for Jesus. So when they're not doing things for Jesus, they feel like the relationship with God is not where it needs to be because I'm not doing all this stuff for Jesus. But Jesus never asked you just to do all this stuff. He asked you to just to connect with him first. He'll give you things to do, but it's got to flow out of your heart to want to connect with him. The more you connect with Christ, and the more you want to do things for Christ. See, I don't do things for Christ so that he'll accept me. I'm accepted by Christ, therefore I do things. Y'all with me on that? You cannot mix those around. I'm accepted by Christ, so therefore I want to please him. I want to obey him. I want to do the things for God. I don't obey him and please him and give tithe because when he sees me do that or he sees me attend church, now he's pleased with me. He's pleased with me first, and that drives my motivation to obey. Okay, this is the same way, like, with your relationships with your spouse or something. I mean, if I took my wife out on a date, and she's like, hey, babe, we're going to go out on a date. Great, great. Oh, why do you want to go out on a date, you know? Oh, because I have to. Isn't this what husband's supposed to do? Do you think my wife would be like, oh, that's so loving. Where do you want to go? Can we just hurry up and get this thing over with? Hold on, hold on that's how people view church. And hey, when's this thing get over with? You seriously, I got to raise my hand? You going to ask me to actually put money to, in, the, in the basket? See, we, wanna, we want to detach our responsibilities. We want all the benefits, but we don't want any responsibilities. And so in success, what we do does not determine who we are. I think this might be in your notes. What we do does not determine who we are. Whose we are determines who we are. Don't confuse that. Whose we are determines who we are. And here's the big question that you got to even ask yourself in this. What more affirmation acceptance do you need than what Jesus did on the cross? True. What more affirmation acceptance do you know that Jesus absolutely is in love with you than what he did on the cross? That was the greatest, most humbling act of love ever performed was what Jesus did on the cross. So here's, here's the other thing I want, I want to just make sure that we're, we're in on is that money and relationships and success, none of those things are wrong and of themselves. Like Jesus wants you to be blessed. He wants you to have a lot of money so you can do a lot of things for the kingdom. He wants you to have incredible relationships and great marriages. He wants you to have great success. God wants you to have favor with him and with men. The problem happens is when it becomes wrong when you take a good thing and you make it a God thing. When you take a good thing like relationships and a good thing like money and a good thing like success and you make it a God thing, you start worshiping it. You put all your time and affection and, and, and your resources and everything into this thing. Then that becomes what we call an idol. An idol is when you take a good thing and you make it a God thing. So money and success and relationships are great things. God wants you to have all those. But don't put it before him. Don't put it in front of connecting with him. Amen. Amen. Okay, so in in regards to that, let me just say this. S- the way Satan works is <clears throat> Satan knows outright that he cannot get you to worship him. I mean, I don't there are people who do that. There are people who are Satan worshipers, but but Satan's very sneaky enough to know that he's not gonna get you to worship him. You're not coming in here and going, I love Satan. Okay, nobody's probably doing that. So here's here's the thing I want you to understand, though. How does Satan work? What's his strategy, though, when it comes to Christ followers or when it comes to the church or when it comes to people? Okay, if I can't get them to worship me, then my next thing is just to get them to worship anything other than God. So that's how he works. No, you don't worship Satan. You just worship money. You don't worship Satan. You just worship your job. You don't worship Satan. You just worship your wife. So Satan wins in that because you're not worshiping him, but you're not worshiping God. So he succeeds. So I want y'all to see the schemes of the enemy and how he works. He ain't going he's not going to say worship me. He's just going to say, just don't worship God. Just go serve that thing. Put all your time in that. You need that. You have to have that. You want that. <clears throat> and so that's success for him. Cause let's be honest. If, if we were very honest, you might want to pull your, pull your feet up because I might step on something. Um, if we were honest, most of us maybe are not consistent when it comes to church every week. Or we're not consistent with spending time with Jesus. But we are absolutely consistent with watching our favorite TV show. Or that workout that I have to get. Or that sell that I got to make. We are, you know, I, I, I find it amazing. People say, oh, man, I get, I get to church so late. And I'm like, well, you never get to church late probably for your haircut. Or for your job. Why? Because that's on the line. You probably feel like I'm going to get fired if I do that. But I can show up everywhere else late and I can not give and not do anything. And that's absolutely fine. You know why? Because we value and honor things above God. That's what what our heart is actually saying. And so when I miss consistent times and spending time with the Lord, I have to go back and look at God. What am I valuing more than you? I'm I'm. Everybody gets 24 hours in a day, no matter what. Everybody's got the same 24 hours in a day. It's just a matter of how we prioritize those things. See, it's a matter of priority. What do you put priority over? What is extremely valuable to you? We're all worshiping something, like I said. And, and if we're not worshiping Jesus, we're drinking sand. And it constantly, we need more of it. So let's, let's, um, let's define worship here, okay? Fill in some notes here. Worship is, do you see it? Worship is giving worth or value to something above all else. Worship is giving worth or value to something above all else. I'm giving my worth. I'm giving my heart, giving my priorities to something or someone above all else. Now, um, Exodus 20, don't turn there, but everybody knows Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments. It is the commands that God has given us um, on, on how we are to live. It is called the law. The law is what is what exposes our hearts and our need for Jesus. So you have this law and I want y'all to see this because I think this is very important that before any other commandment was ever given before he told us not to murder, not to commit adultery, not to have any other gods before us, before he said any of those things. And I don't think anybody in here probably has done some of those things. Some of you may have, but before he said any of those things, his very first commandment, let's throw it up on the screen. The very first thing was you must have no other, what God's before me. You must have no other gods but me. No other gods but me. There is a reason that that you see all throughout Scripture, there are the principles of the first. Because usually the first thing always sets the course for the other things. The fruit of the Spirit, the first one is, you know what it is? Love. And then it goes joy, pace, and peace, all this stuff. See, here's the deal. You can't have joy, pace, patience, pit, peace, patience. no patience. If you have patience, come and tell me. <laughs> And explain to me what exactly patience is. Um, you can't have love, joy, patience. Okay, let's just stop. That's a terrible... We're just going to move on. You can't have any of that stuff without love. Okay? So, here's the deal. You can't kill someone unless you've put a God in front of God. You can't commit adultery on your wife unless there's another woman that's above God. See, this... This command, have no other gods before me, is so important because it is the root of every sin. Tell me one sin that did not start with either you being God or somebody else being God. See, when God is God in your life and you connect to him and you worship him for who he is, all the other commandments are joyful obedience. You don't mind doing those things because God is first. That's why when Jesus shows up on the scene, they're like, hey, there's like 614 commands in the Old Testament. Tell us what it is. How does does all this work? And Jesus says, listen, let me just make it real simple for all those that didn't really pass the school. Here's two. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then what? Love your neighbors. Okay, here's the deal. I'm working on those two for the rest of my life. I don't need any other ones. Those two are enough for me. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. If we were to do a a survey right now and find out, is everybody loving God with all their heart, all their mind, all their soul, and their strength, I think we're going to have some Fs in here. Okay? And as soon as you think you're doing really good, you get an F just because you're proud. Okay? So out of that, this is what I want to show you all. Because we serve a God who is jealous. He's a jealous God. He's jealous for your affection. He's jealous for your attention. He's jealous for your time. He's jealous for you. God wants you. God longs to connect with you. It, <clears throat> Personally, the, the things that I struggle with the most, the, the idol that I constantly am going back to is, is comfort. I think it's the, one of the greatest things that I struggle with on a weekly basis is, is comfort. I love being comfortable. I have a lazy boy in my living room. I love that chair. It's my greatest chair. It is my greatest enemy as well. Because in that place it exposes a lot of my heart because I can watch my wife working her tail to the bone all in our house and sit comfortably in that chair while she does it all. And then she lovingly reminds me that she is overwhelmed it needs a graceful husband that would step in. But I, I don't even, just not even in that, just in my relationship with the Lord, I find it to be, uh, finding places to be comfortable. I, I told the Jennings campus this. This is something God's been doing in me this week. And he asked me this question. When's the last time you've taken a, a big risks for the Lord? When's the last time you've stepped out of your comfort zone and taken a risk for the Lord? And, and as I started dwelling on that question, It's been a while. It had been a while. And the reason I felt like the Lord said that is because the Bible says this, that that when you don't take risk, you don't need faith. See, you don't have to trust the Lord because you're comfortable. Guess who you trust in? Yourself. So when you don't take risk, you don't need faith. And guess what? When you don't need faith, you're unfaithful. And I was like, oh, my God. I think. I've been extremely faithful to the Lord. I feel like I've been extremely faithful to the church. I feel like I've been extremely faithful to my wife. But then when I started realizing when I don't take risk, I'm not having faith. And when I'm not having faith, I'm unfaithful. So I want to be a person who's constantly stepping out of my comfort zone and going, God, show up in this place. And there are times in my life I can look back and go, that was a real scary part. But I can also look at that and go, that was where God met me the most. See, some of you are so bored in your Christian faith. You know why? Because you're so comfortable. Comfort Christianity is not anything that you read in the New Testament. These guys are going all over the place, preaching to people, discipling people, getting killed. I mean, it's just craziness. I I, I would not have anybody label the New Testament church as comfortable. Powerful, not comfortable. See, when we walk into this thing of Christianity and say, God, I'm going to follow you with all of my heart. Guess what? He says, great. Get ready for the most uncomfortable ride of your life. It's going to be hard. There's going to be trying times. But guess what? In those places, you're going to have to trust me. You have to trust me. And so if you're comfortable right now, I, I want to press in and ask you, are you really connecting with Christ? Because here's the deal. When you connect with the heart of Christ, he then sends you into the places that he has a broken heart for. So he sends you into some really broken, dark places because his heart is right there. He's like, I'm hurting for these people. And he's like, guess what? That was last week we found out you are an ambassador for Christ. Go. See, the, 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 the less we connect with him, then the less we have to hear him, which is the less we have to go and do anything for him. And so for me personally, my idol is constantly, God, I want to be, be stretched. That's a very dangerous prayer. God, make me uncomfortable. That's even more dangerous. God, give me your eyes. I really don't want your eyes. I really don't want your heart. If we were honest, we really don't want that. Because if we get that, it's going to scare us. And it's going to push us into some places that are really, 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 really hard. So here's here's a question, and I want you to think through this. What is it in your life that if you were really gut-level honest, you allow that thing to take priority over God? If you were just really honest, maybe it's comfort, maybe it's money, maybe it's a job, maybe it's a, a girl, maybe it's a an addiction to something. Maybe it's see. And the thing with Christians is we our idols are just nice idols. They're not like addicted to heroin. They're like I watch too much TV. I'm on Facebook, way too much. I enjoy the pleasures of people more than anything than God. We we just have nice ones. But there's still things that God's going after. So let's find out. I want to go. uh, Do you all have verse 16? We have 16 through 19. How far do we got? 17? Let's go. Let's throw 16 up. I want to show you all something here. So the three wells that we go to is money, relationships, and success. The second thing is this. The second barrier to not connecting with Christ. The first one is you're drinking from the wrong well. The second barrier that you face is unrepentant sin. Unrepentant sin. All right, so John 4, uh, 16, let's let's read this. So Jesus says to her, so after all this this drinking stuff and this well talk, Jesus just says, you know what, okay, you you seem like I just need to get to the point here. Let me just get to the point. Hey, go call your husband and tell him to come here. The woman answers him, "Um, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, Hey, you're you're right in saying that. You don't have a husband. You got five husbands. And the one that you're now with is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, I perceive that you're a prophet. <clears throat> so we have this woman that's coming at noontime because she's got some some things going on. And we find out right now that her thing is she really likes men. A lot of them. One husband's not enough. She needs five. And th- those five aren't enough. She's got another one on the side. Now, here's the thing. In that culture, when uh, you committed adultery, you committed a capital offense. And guess what the law said? Stoner. So now I wonder why she's going out at noon. Now we probably know in that y'all remember the woman that was caught in the act and thrown at Jesus's feet. And all the Pharisees are like, we caught her in the act, which is a little perverted on their part. Um, but they're at the thing and they're like, get all the stones. And Jesus is like, OK, who's without the first sin? Cast the first stone. See, in those days, if you were caught in the midst of adultery, if you were in adultery, that the law said you need to be killed. She's in shame and she's hiding from a culture that views her as unclean. And I'm going to tell you this. This is, a, this is going to be a big thing for all of you here that claim the name of Christ. Unconfessed and unrepented sin will not separate you from Christ. The Bible says nothing can separate you from Christ if you're saved. But it will greatly affect your worship. Unconfessed and unrepentant sin will definitely affect your ability to connect with Christ. It's not going to separate you from Christ because nothing can separate us from Christ, as we read in Scripture. But it will definitely affect your worship. Watch somebody who's in in unrepentant sin and who's living a lifestyle of sin and they come in and we do worship and they normally have their hands lifted up and all of a sudden they're like, I don't know about this. Because unconfessed and unrepentant sin does. Sin destroys things. Sin breaks things. Jesus was so mad at sin he gave his life for it. So we're not easy on sin. We hate sin just as much as God does. And his grace is sufficient in our weakness. And he comes and he gives forgiveness for that. But I'm going to just tell you right now, the greatest block to your ability to connect with Christ is going to be if you're living in sin that you have not confessed or repented of. Because that just shows that you're not really spending time with Christ. Because if you're spending and connecting and worshiping Jesus, that just comes out. God, this is what I'm dealing with. And here's the other thing. We can be absolutely real in this place. This place is filled with sinners. Welcome to the house of sinners. Come on in. Okay, so you don't have to feel like, see, it goes back to the drinking of the well. And we put this in Christianity that you feel like that I have to perform a certain way for God to accept me. And that because I'm struggling with this, God doesn't accept me. No, that's not the case. God accepts you. and Now that you know that he accepts you, you can be real and open about what you're dealing with. This is what I'm struggling with. And so, unconfessed and unrepentant sin will do that. Now, I want you to look at verse 20 because he's going to talk a little bit about what worship is. He says, "It says our fathers worship on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Now, we're going to talk about worship here. So, Jesus says to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers, most of us know this verse, will worship him in spirit and in truth for the father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus looks at her with the biggest grin on his face and he says, I am He. Here I am. She's like, one day when He comes, I'm gonna tell Him. Like, you know, it's all about Him. And he's like, da 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 See, worship is important because you were created for it, and God's seeking that. It's why he's giving you breath in your lungs. Please, please hear me. Worship and connecting to Christ is so much bigger than singing songs. Songs are such a small part of worship. Such a small part. Worship is is something that you put value and priority in your heart towards. Worship is our life. It's connecting to Christ as a place that we're called to remain, to stay into that place of constant connecting to Christ. We constantly want to stay connected to him. Let, let's let's even ask this question. When we gather together every single week corporately, what are we trying to do? What are we trying to do? When we come together, what are we coming here to accomplish? See, um, in high school, I used to uh, be a part of the drama team. And, um, and so... You know, every, probably twice a year, you would have the plays that the drama team would host, and the drama team would get up there and do all their parts, and I was a part of the Christmas Carol, uh, y'all remember the Christmas Carol with Tiny Tim, and all that kind of stuff, and all the ghosts, and all that stuff, well, I had this incredible part, um, I was actually one of Tiny Tim's little brothers, and I just had to walk in, and this is my line, thank you, sir, thank you, and the worst part about it was, it was when I was going through puberty, And it just it did not come really good that play night. Um, so, see, in we view things in two ways. There is the, the, the team, the, the, the choir, the, the performers, and then there's the audience. Okay? That's how we view things, especially when we come to church. You're the audience, and you spectate and watch whoever's up here doing their thing, and we are the performers, and we get to do all this stuff. But when you read Scripture... There is only one audience, and that is Christ, and we're all performers. We're all the people on the stage. We are the choir, all of us. So when we gather together, you don't get to sit and watch me do my thing or watch the worship team sing, and you get to watch us spectate. You are participating with us to an audience of one. So that is why I'm going to even say this. That is why it's so important that you come so often because, see, most of us think that you come to receive something from God, which you will. Most of us come because you want to hear from God, which you will. But you don't realize that that he is the audience. So when he's the audience, you come to give, not to receive. See, I didn't show up today so I could just sit in the seat and and watch. Well, I did actually at first. But found out that I was in the game, uh, but I wanted to participate in what's going on here. See, I get so excited about coming to church, not so that I can just receive something for God. I need a word from the Lord, and that will happen, and God will speak to you, but that's so you can participate with all of the saints, with this whole house, and we lift up one name. We worship one king. Come on, church. That's what we come together. So we come early, and we're excited, and we're, we're filled with expectation for what God's going to do because God inhabits the praises of his people. Is what the Bible says. And so when we come together, we lift him up. That's why we're here. We are here for an audience of one. First Peter 2 9. We've been talking about 1 Peter 2 over the, as we've been building the foundation. I love this. It says, But you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possessions. That you, okay, notice why you are all these things. Why are you a chosen race? And why are you a royal priesthood? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's why we come. That's why we come. We come not to receive. We come to proclaim that he is king, that he is Lord, that he is everything. And when we do that, guess what? Like any good father, he responds back to you. We draw near to him. And what does he do? He draws near to us our response to everything that he's done. So let me just get real practical in the last five minutes or so. I want to answer this one practical question. How do we connect to Christ? How do we do this? If our mission is to reach people and build lives, and we want to see people connect to Christ, how do we do that? John fifteen nine, John fifteen nine. This is how we do it. I have loved you. Now, this is Jesus speaking. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in what? Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things. Why? So that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Staying connected to Christ is simple. Here it is. If you want to stay connected to Christ, it's simply responding to who God is and what he's done. See, I want to give you some real good news. You don't ever have to be disconnected from Christ. You can remain in his love. You can stay connected all the time. And the way we do that is we constantly come back to responding to who God is and to what he's done. So let's talk about that. Number one, who is God to you? You've got to answer that question for yourself. Who is God to you? For some of you, you think he's a judge. You think he's like your daddy. If you had a bad daddy, then that probably is not good for him. Or you think he's whatever. He's looking, looking out to always smite you. Or do you view God as holy? The first week we talked about this series, we talked about, is he precious? See, because here's the deal. When Jesus is precious, when you put value on him, you absolutely love that. You treasure that. You cherish that. Is he holy? Is he love? Is he worthy of your worship? Is he enough? That's a big one. Who is God to you? Is he enough? Is he enough for you? If you never got promoted, if you never got a wife, if you never got what you're always wanting for, is Jesus enough? Is he enough? Number two is this. Well, let me say this. We disconnect from God when we're not in awe of him. We disconnect from God when we're not in awe of him. When you stop being in awe of God, guess what? You start disconnecting from him. As long as we can make him in in awe in our eyes, we, we don't have to make him that, but as long as we see him as that, we'll always stay connected. Number two, what has God done for you? Well, let me tell you what he's done for me. He saved me. He's redeemed me. He's forgiven me. He's poured grace out constantly on me this week. He's given me second chances. He's loved me when I was unlovable. He's forgiven me when I didn't need it. He's done all these things for me. And in response to everything that God's done for him, for for me, don't you think I want to do everything for him? Come on, in response to what Christ has done on the cross for you and his resurrection and giving you his spirit inside of you, doesn't that make you want to just do everything for him? Do anything that he wants you to do? That's what it makes me want to do. See, obedience to Christ flows from my joy in Christ. See, when you read uh, the passage that was before, read that Go put that last passage up. Notice what it says. It says you need to obey my commandments and all these things. But verse 11 says, so that you will be filled with joy, filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. See, some people are trying to obey Christ, but it's like pathetic. Pathetic. It's like, man, I'm just trying to do this thing. And like, Jesus wants you to enjoy obeying him, love obeying him, that your joy may be full in knowing him. See, because your obedience in Christ flows from your joy in Christ. I mean, your obedience to Christ, what I do for Christ flows out of that, that joy that I have in him, in him. I am thankful for what he's done. I get joy from in him. So that's why we can go through anything and count it all joy. So I'm a. A heart for God's house begins with having a heart to connect to God, to connect to Christ, to worship him for who he is and what he's done. Amen. Now, I want to do this in closing is I know that there are many of you maybe that are in here that you feel totally disconnected from Christ. You feel totally away from him. And maybe you are. Maybe you don't even know him. And uh, every week we want to give opportunities for you to be reconnected with him. God sent Jesus to redeem and make things new, and to bring you back into relationship with his father. That's why he came. He came to reconcile our broken state, our sin. He came to forgive that and to make us new and make us back together with Christ. And if that's you, we want to pray with you. We want to talk with you. We want to help you. We want to encourage you. We want to reach you, but we want to build you. We, wanna, we want you to come in and have um, have character. But, but more importantly, we just want you to know how much Jesus loves you. He loves you. Amen? He loves you, so let's pray this morning. Jesus, we love you. We thank you, God, for what you've done, and we come today and worship you for who you are and for what you've done. And and God, I know that you are you're speaking right now to people in this room, and I I God, I continually publicly confess, God, my dependence on myself, my misappropriation of time, my desire for comfort to be barriers for me to worship you. God, I pray that whatever the barriers are that each person in here is facing, that they would identify that, that they would confess that, repent of that, and say, God, give me a new start. Give me a heart that longs for you, that longs to be with you, longs to know you. God, we want to worship you with all that's within us. God, we thank you, Lord, for who you are. You are holy. You are great. You are magnificent. You are love. We thank you for that. Thank you for what you've done in our lives. Thank you for saving us and having your hand on us. Thank you for forgiving us and giving us favor. We thank you for that. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to each person. I pray that you would minister to them. I pray that what they hear today affects tomorrow and the next day and the next day. I pray that it would transform lives. May your gospel go forth and change lives like it does. In Jesus.